Hello. How are you doing? Okay, tonight we're going to talk about empathy, vulnerability, and shame in the good ways as it relates to these three areas of overlap, mental health, positive behavior, and learning differences. Keep in mind that if we're vulnerable, that's actually a very good thing. If you're able to be so mindful or in the moment, let's say confident. If you're able to be so at ease with who you are that you're willing to be honest, truthful, authentic, then as you talk about what has broken your heart and how you have healed, how you have improved your own attitude, um, your, the control over the few things that you do have in your life, and you've been able to work on your recovery from codependence or similar, then those scars that you show are actually going to be your signs of strength. They're going to be tools you can help other people with, right? Because as soon as you try to pretend that you're perfect, you're going to lose your audience. You're going to lose the empathy because everybody knows in their heart of hearts that they are broken. Everybody knows that they individually are not perfect. Now, they might be conned for a little bit in reading your Facebook or your social media thinking that, oh, wow, that must be how your life is all the time. But let's let's look at it in, in a different stance, and that is perhaps in the families of learning differences or newer neural diversity or mental health or special needs, just what, however you want to kind of families that aren't perfect. How about that? Or lives that aren't perfect. So uh, these next two pictures are going to be lots of words. They're going to be categories that uh, I've brought together of trouble or growth um, obstacles to overcome, challenges that you face. And they're all challenges that I personally have faced with one exception. Um, you're going to see home displacement. And I made these back in the time of Hurricane Harvey, if you're familiar with that, when the Houston area was just devastated by rain. Um, I did not have to move my kids out of our house. So I did not have a home displacement. But I have been homeless before, and I have moved very, very frequently. So just know that when I'm speaking about these um, categories, these places, these painful things, these painful scars, that uh, I got lots of skin in this game. Okay, so let's click forward. And now we're looking at the one up in the top there. It says, if we were to walk in their shoes. So what if... Um, what if you're, you're working with or trying to relate to someone or just get through your own version of some of these areas of, of challenge? So perhaps you're working with some colleagues that they're, yeah, it, or let's say in special needs families, there is a high divorce rate. I mean, even among neurotypical families, what, 50% uh, divorce rate? And families or young people are delaying later and later in life before they do get married, which 
I'm not trying to make any social commentary here. I'm just saying that if there's a high divorce rate and if people are feeling shame or money is an issue, right? Or um, the ability to focus on what your kids need or just time to be face-to-face, present time. These are challenges. All right, so I mentioned that displacement. Some people did lose their home in these storms. Some people are, be, are losing their home in all this COVID-19, this coronavirus stuff. Um, or do, because the jobs have dried up. So these are areas of which we can have, we may have vulnerability, um, we may have shame, but if we're honest with ourselves, those do not have to be harmful. Those don't have to be a kiss of death. Those don't have to be something we die from. Um, and that instead, the other side of the positive coin is that we can build empathy. We can grow that muscle of, of empathy, which then feeds resilience and then we can build our self-esteem and we can realize, you know, the only things you really have are what you carry around in your heart, in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. And uh, um, it's not the stuff you have in your pocket or the stuff you have in your house. Stuff is stuff, right? And if you lose your stuff, does that change who you are? Does that change how you relate to people, how you think about yourself? Now, granted, that could be a real challenge, right? And and I say this because I have read personally nearly every self-help book I could find in my quest to survive a a bad marriage, to survive and rebuild myself from being codependent, to to work through having kids with diagnoses, and um, just a a lot of uphill climbing myself. Um, I was raised in a very old-fashioned way, so really speaking, my mind has only happened very recently. That's another thing, too, is the social environment in which you grew up. Even the birth order or the the location from which you come, right? Or perhaps if there's a national cultural uh, background that kind of leaves you a a leg down or feeling less about yourself. So those are also areas of which you can certainly recover from, certainly be a whole stronger person today than you were yesterday. All right, so self-advocacy, that... That's a really keen, important area for our, uh, for our modeling, for our kids. And, and not in a way that's militant and not with a chip on my shoulder. But it's understanding what my personal boundaries are, being willing to communicate those, being comfortable enough with the art of gentle um, c- confrontation, right? Whereas in my previous days of being so codependent, I nearly died. I couldn't possibly have just said what I needed to say, let the chips fall where they may. I would cloak it all in a way to just make sure that uh, I was walking on eggshells and you weren't upset and somehow we would make something, I would figure out some way, which you can't always figure out some way to make everybody happy. So this is a fairly new skill or effort, let's say effort, skill, self-project, self-awareness. How about that? Yeah, a big time self-awareness of my, for me. And I'm, I'm hoping that you continue to be able to make progress on that. So please know that um, you are so far from being alone. <laughs> Everybody's got this. We just need to be honest enough. I'll tell you what, whenever I see some a friend and they say, how you doing? And I I could say, if I'm brokenhearted, I could say, oh yeah, I'm fine. Life in my teeth, life in my grinning teeth. But as soon as I let my guard down, as soon as I just say what I really need to say, like, man, I'm really struggling with whatever it is. And as a female, we're kind of, um, 
our, our souls are kind of wired that we want to talk about our trouble. Whereas, let's say stereotypically, a man might not be so willing to, to tell you what their troubles are because they're still trying to work through it in their mind. They may not be um, as comfortable in, in saying that they're, they're in trouble or they need help. Me personally, I'm really trying to be much better about not being so independent, but rather to be intra-dependent. If I need some help, to reach out and say, hey, can you help me with this? So, um, which is far less isolating, all right? And it usually is a compliment to the person that receives the request for help. So let's say that uh, we were friends and you asked me how I was doing. And instead of giving you some line of baloney, because you're gonna know that I'm lying, and then you're going to think, oh, well, fine. She doesn't want to tell me the truth. I guess I'll just clam up. She doesn't want to, you know, be honest and real and um, authentic with me. But if instead I said, man, I'm really struggling with something. Could you give me some advice? Could you help me with this? And I told you what my problem was. And then I zipped it and I listened to your ideas. Wouldn't you feel like if you were able to help me that you'd feel really good about that? So that's maybe these are some ideas rattling around in your head, right? Uh, in, in my head, heart, that uh, just think about. Um, I'm not trying to give you any advice. I would never give you advice, but I'll sure give you examples. <laughs> and um, I don't really have any pictures to go with these. I'm just kind of painting mental pictures of things, not trying to personalize it too much to me, but more how might it fit for you as you, as you think about these things. So they might be with peers, parent peers or professional, you know, colleagues of yourself or as you relate to the kids in your life or the neighbors or your grandkids or the people you work with at the office. Okay, so co-parenting there, all right. And in that category of co-parenting, you can have dysfunctional, you can have dis estrangement and oh dear God, can you have codependency, right? So the book Facing Codependency by Pia Melody is the best ever. I totally recommend it. I read it probably every year. Um, she's got some YouTubes out, but the book is fabulous, easy to read. So as we struggle with co-parenting, and then who's who's the power struggle, who's the leg up, and who's the leg down, which also fits into a book, um, The Passion Paradox. Great book, out of print. They've done a revision to it, but in a nutshell, the, power, the Passion Paradox says that in any relationship, you're, one of the parties, be it a, a marriage, a, a, a partnership, a family, a work, it, it, you and your dog, right? Any relationship, there's going to be one that's one of the parties is going to be the leg up and the other party is going to be the leg down. And it's going to be kind of like a seesaw, teeter-totter, you know, if it's, if it's a functional relationship where, you know, it'll be just a little bit of back and forth, back and forth kind of yo-yo stuff, but it's not going to be like totally one-sided, totally lopsided means whoever, if you're the one that leg up or you're the one leg down, it's going to be hard to get back to that middle ground to get back into equilibrium. And as an example, I think the movie Fried Green Tomatoes comes the closest to illustrating this. Uh, Kathy Bates plays this great character of she's chasing after her hubby, trying to, you know, please him in every possible goofy way. And then she gets frustrated and she meets a friend and they go off on adventures. And then pretty soon the passion paradox has swung the other way because she's done what the book says to do, which is develop other interests. 
The more we try to make somebody the center of our universe, the more we tr want them to, you know, pay attention to, to me if I'm, if I'm doing age inappropriate or relationship inappropriate attention seeking behaviors and I'm all needy and all that stuff, then you're not going to have a higher opinion of me. It's going to be an ironic, isn't it, that this is how human psychology works? Everything is psychology. If I'm showing that I've got hobbies and I've got friends and I'm doing other things and my time has boundaries and I'm not sitting around waiting for you to be happy with me and like me and I'm not contorting myself to, to try to get some attention from you, then I'm really strengthening myself from and recovering from my codependency. And pretty soon you're going to realize, hey, we've swapped places and now I'm the one that's leg up and you're the one that's leg down which is not a, not a position or relationship I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm just saying it's that, that seesaw, that teeter-totter, that yin-yang back and forth, right? So when we don't place ourselves last, it's the most healthy and it's where attraction comes from. And if you like to study energy work or the laws of attraction or the laws of masculine energy and feminine energy, I mean, I could tell you my version of it. There's a lot of uh, professionals that have a, a much better vocabulary and explaining of it and they can go into it in great detail. Um, my short version of it is that we all have all kinds of uh, both ends of the energy spectrum and then depending on who we're with and what our, our goals are for the, the moment then um, we should be self-aware and then tap into that particular energy. Like for example if I'm doing my taxes I'm probably going to be using my masculine energy. If I can't get my car started <laughs> and I got to figure out this whole key thing, like today, the last few days, my car's been not starting when I needed it to. And we've been able to, a friend of mine has been helping me, kind of process of elimination. It's it's process of elimination. It's not the battery. We've determined that it's probably the key. So in all of that problem solving, I might have used a little bit of feminine energy to ask for help, but then the rest of it is trying to be logical and figuring out how do I help myself, not freaking out and saying, okay, I guess I'm going to have to push my car up the driveway to get out of the other person's way and then figure out this key thing. So um, anyway, silly example there of codependency. Okay, now go slightly to the right and you're going to see working memory, sensory integration, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, dyslexia. And the reason I have those there is depending on um, whether you have that in your life or you're working with people who have that in their life, the idea of vulnerability, empathy, and um, shame <laughs> fit into these guys. So let's say, let's use the example of mom kid. All right, so with my son, John, I, I know that he's got all of these five areas of challenge. And so rather than make him feel ashamed about that, I'm going to help him build neural pathways and I'll use humor and I'll redirect him and we'll, we'll work on the neural pathways of, of working memory. And then we'll work on that, getting more and more comfortable inside his own skin, right? The sensory integration and building vocabulary, making sentences. Like tonight he said something, um, he was talking about uh, Mario Kart and he had a greater awareness of the game, and he used an empathetic statement in kidding someone with whom we were playing. And I thought, dang, not only was he, he knows which one Peach is, but he, he knows that that other person's in 12th place. He knows that as a team we're in 12th place, and I didn't think he was even paying attention. And he said it in a funny voice. So that's great. That was awesome. I mean, that's a big step forward for us. And we'll take those all day long. 
So dysgraphia means someone's having a really hard time writing, right? An area of shame if you're in school, an area of empathy if you can help someone, and um, uh, and if you're vulnerable about that, then then just fess up and say, hey, I'm 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 struggling with the challenge of my dysgraphia. I might need to write, or my dyslexia, right? Which so dysgraphia is trouble in writing. Dyscalculia is trouble with math, numbers, understanding time, the passage of time, time awareness. Um, I lose track of time, and it's kind of like ADHD, but it's more like time awareness or money awareness. What's a quarter? What's a dime? How many do I do I get back? What's change? Whoever uses coins these days, right? Every at school, my kid they uh they when they do money problems, they do a dollar up. They round up to the next dollar. And quite frankly, he hardly ever carries around coins, and neither do I. It's on plastic. So it's the cultural thing, right? But we still need to understand the relationship of numbers to each other. And then understanding the relationship of language, written language, spoken language, sentences, vocabulary, syllables, word decoding, word building, that fits into the dyslexia and the phonetic awareness, which is another whole two-hour workshop. But just to throw those in there, those can be shameful to some people, but they don't need to. We can be empathetic. We can, um, we can be vulnerable. We can help them out with that. These are just other areas where we should just maybe be aware that someone could be struggling with that. And if we can recognize that and give them some pointers or, or help them out with it, even just understanding the vocabulary, it's not stupid, all right? It's called dysgraphia. You're not lazy. It's called dys, uh, dys, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, it's dyslex, dyslexia. Okay, so passive aggressiveness. Ooh, this is a dandy one, right? So if you're going to be honest with someone in a, in a understanding your boundaries, understanding their boundaries, stating yours, keeping yours, keeping theirs, being respectful of theirs, then don't use this, yeah, but you know, I guess I'm going to be the victim and I'm going to say things that make you feel guilty or manipulate you into, so that I can get what I want. Kind of like Uriah Heep, if you if you understand old classic literature, um, or uh, whiny, or man, uh, like the, the idea of manipulation is, pa- is classic passive aggressiveness. And I tell parents, I said, listen, if your kid's trying to manipulate you, that's awesome. Celebrate that. Celebrate that all day long. They've got to have something upstairs. They've got to have cognitive function to actually know how to try to manipulate you. They don't get to win. You have to have your rules and your boundaries, but celebrate that, that someone's trying. So de, um, uh, defang it, um, uh, break it down, disarm it with humor, all right? And so, or ignoring. So if someone's coming at me with a bunch of whininess, let's say I was in a really lousy marriage, right? Which I was. And so when I would receive, I would start to smell that, taste that, feel that passive aggressiveness coming at me. Then the best thing I could do was zip it. Just let it flow right through me, over me. I don't want to absorb it in any way. It's just going to be toxic poison, quicksand to me. So um, if you can use humor, great. Otherwise, don't touch it. Just let it in one and out the other ear, okay? I know it's very hard because we want to rise to the occasion and we want to zip a zip a zinger right back at them. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be down in the gutter with them. And so it's far better to say nothing. 
if you want to win, say nothing. It'll infuriate them that you are so calm and, and, and that you maybe, maybe act like you didn't even hear it. You might be seething on the inside, but if you can just not take the bait, don't bite the worm with the hook underneath it. It will, um, they won't win and you will win because you will keep your calm and keep your serenity. You have no control over how they're trying to be sneaky Pete with you anyway. Okay, so that kind of leads then to the next one, the redirects, which is a classic way of just trying to um, get someone to work, to, to focus on, to say, to talk about what you want them to instead of what they're stemming on or hyper-focused on or stuck on. Now, ABA, y'all know this one, right? Um, applied Behavioral Analysis, and that's um, hand over hand. Um, if you're raising kids with ABA, um, please be aware that you do not want to raise a robot, right? You really do want to raise a child that can understand and deal with the chaos of everyday life. Now, my, my kid, my John, I constantly change up the pitch on him. I refuse to let him be comfy in his neural pathways of prisonership. Uh, I will purposefully get him started and then I'll say, oops, wait, stop. We got to do something different. I will purposefully stop him, make him change, make him wait. Anything now to begin those neural pathways, those habits, so that as life goes on and time goes by, he's going to be okay. He's not going to be stemming and adamant and angry because someone didn't give him what he wanted. Instead, maybe we can practice a humorous redirect. Or This is a classic one that we have now. So one time he did it, and I laughed. And he thinks it's so funny that he does it now a little bit overboard constantly. But I, he would say, hey, can I do this? And I go, no. And he goes, aww. And it was so funny. I laughed because it came out of, out of nowhere. So now he says, come on, mom, say, say no. So anyway, we have our funny little joke now, kind of like a standing one-liner. And he makes a little aww. And if, I, if I'm doing the right thing, then I will laugh with him. If I get irritated because I've heard that joke before, well, then I'm just wrong. I'm just flat wrong, right? And uh, he's so cute about it, he'll try it again to see if he, if he can't get me to play along. And then I realize, oh, man, you just blew a gale. Get with it. So classic ABA is a redirect of first we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. So it's kind of like a closed-ended question. Instead of saying, what would you like to do, I'll say, you want to uh, you want to eat first and then do chores or do you want to do chores and then eat so first this and then we'll do that now if i want to string it into three events or four really stretch that working memory give him chances to expand that neuro uh, pathway practice of how many things he can hold in his mind and how many things he can choose between and order to prioritize that's great um, I can't say that we're ready for four right now, but then sometimes I get I get <laughs> three might be my limit too. So just just realize that the more humor and the more funny you make it, and maybe you have some prompts or some supports, like a picture or a list or um, some things piled up or anything that's a reminder. We call prompts. We call them prompts, but they're really just reminders, right? But ideally, we would help them uh, remember how to do it themselves, choose themselves. He'll say, I don't know, mom, you choose, which I, I, I always try to get him to really decide. 
And I might just zip it and just stand there or look away or act like I don't hear because I don't want to rescue him from that. I want him to practice making a decision. And either any of the choices are fine. Um, it's they get scared, right? Because they think they're going to make a bad choice. They're going to whatever. They're not going to be perfect. Who cares, right? Just the fact that they could choose. They have to be confident enough to step out and take that risk. So I try to always reward him for the risk taking um, instead of instead of rescuing him with just 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 decide. Just come on, pick one. Who cares? That attitude, that 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 voice, that voice inflection. Do you think I'm going to help him feel secure about himself? feel secure about taking a risk the next time he's going to think well man mom bit my face off the last time I wasn't sure so I guess I'm not going to be making that mistake again okay so now click and we're going to go on to the the next one and that one still says up at the top a little reminder about walking in someone else's shoes right so you've heard the saying right that if you knew what everybody's pile of troubles were you'd go back and pick up your own pile because you're used to it, because you kind of developed some coping skills. And I would do that too. I wouldn't trade my life for anybody else's life. I would never trade my kids for anything else. I've, I've learned how to handle most of the, the stuff I'm already dealing with. There's new things coming, <laughs> and I'm glad I don't know exactly what they are, you know. Kind of like Doc Brown, if you ever watch Back to the Future, you know, he never wants to know what's coming. A man should not know his destiny. Because our destinies are yet to be written. And so it's kind of a hokey bunch of uh, lines from the movie. But there's a lot of truth to that. Because your life is going to be what you make it. And each day, the decisions that you make, it's your mindset. It's your attitude, right? It's your attitude that's the magical thing about how you deal with stress or how, um, how you perceive something. Okay, so anyway, social-emotional learning. What's that mean? Have you ever, have you ever heard of SEL? Well, Maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were not talking about that as often as we are now. The school districts are hiring people that have that in their job title, SEL. So it means that if you're in a group or small group, large group, what's everybody else doing? How's everybody feeling? How's everybody working together as a group? Uh, can I fit in? Do I match them? And so that's what I tell my kid is look around at the other kids. I said, match the little girls. Um, and in that case, we're talking about classroom behavior, but a little, a, a small group of, of males, right? That they might be able to be vulnerable and, and tell the truth, even if you're, you're not certain what the outcome will be. But if you're honest with someone and tell them the truth, wouldn't you much rather have that than some... Uh, pile of lies and then you don't even know where they stand or some untruth that says oh yeah I'm fine when you know bloody well that they are in trouble and they're upset and you can't get a straight answer right kind of like giving somebody a Christmas present that you go I bet they love it I bet they're gonna love it and they open it up and they go oh and you go oh you say you don't like it and they go oh yeah yeah it's fine and then you're just heartbroken. It would be far better if they said hey listen can I have a different color do you still have the receipt can we go and swap it out? And you go, sure, yeah, no big deal, because you're getting a straight poop, right? We just want the straight answers on stuff. So, and then you'd feel so much better about the gift. Okay, all right, let's go on to the next one, a self-directed learning, right? And that's the difference between big fancy words here. Pedagogy, which is how kids learn, 
which is basically, I'm going to tell you how you think. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one plus one equals two, base 10 number system, and you're just going to absorb it, and we're not going to, we're not going to debate it, okay? We're not renegotiating that. A sensory integration, sensory senses. There's five that you know of. There's the three that everybody else has talked about. So you have the, the five. You taste it, you smell it, you hear it, you see it, you touch it. Then you have vestibular, proprioceptive, and vestibular. And then they've added a ninth one, which is introception, which is basically mindfulness of the body that it can read the signals, read the emotions, read the feelings, anticipate how the the uh, the emotion the feeling is going to go be mindful speak up be honest be real um, so it kind of fits in with being empathetic and vulnerable introception does right we're not really necessarily focusing on the bad shame what I mean is the good shame the good shame is that I'm I I feel bad because of something but I'm going to be I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to be able to have cards on the table, and we're going to have honesty, and it's going to turn out great because I didn't, I, I didn't lie to you, all right? That's the good part of shame. Now, you know, if you want the, 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 um, uh, the, the readings, the studies, the, uh, the work, the research of Brene Brown, she's awesome, right, on, on her shame and vulnerability. So definitely go check out everything that she's written. All right, so, oh, now, medication and counseling. All right, so what if we're talking to someone who's taking medication or they're, they're trying to decide if their kid's going to be medded or not? Are we going to do the immune system? Are we going to do math, uh, natural methylation, natural detoxing? Or are we going to go for a molecule or two or three? How's that molecule going to fit in with all the other chemical reactions in the dendrites and the neural pathways and the synapses? And, uh, and then puberty or not, body weight or not, diet or not, the, uh, the, the body's individual um, adrenaline and um, assimilation of a particular, or the genetics, the, the broken or the not broken gene. How does all of that fit into this chemistry set that's each individual person? Are you judgmental or not? Does the school want you to med your kid, medicate your kid because they just want them to sit down and shut up? But then what if your kid has an up and down and up and down, they're a zombie because of the med and or you need a combination medication or as the child grows or now we have a change in something else of the body and the, the chemistry quest continues. We've got a whole new chemistry game going on. Okay. I know that's a lot of words. Sorry about that. But it's just, are we judgmental or can you just be a good listener? Maybe they just need to be able to talk about something and not be, um, oh, you know, you ever watch the um, Jumanji series, the new, the remake of it? Not the Robin Williams one, but the one since then with with Dwayne The Rock and Jack Black and those other guys. That really cute little little guy that's um, Dr. Bravestone. Anyway, um, are you judgy much? <laughs> so the, the, the Jack Black, in, in the first one of the remakes, Jack Black plays this awesome character that's a female who's now in a male body. And uh, are you judgy much? You, you got to see it. Okay, I don't do it justice. Grief and trauma. All right, I personally have that with my kids. It, it, before they've lost their dad fairly recently. Um, there's traumatic uh, issues for each of them because of their diagnoses that they've come through. So I, as a, as a not real, I'm a educator, not so much a provider. So in that world of, I'm not necessarily HIPAA, but I'll talk with you all day long about the educational pieces of it. So I do try to go to every grief and trauma training I can get. There's some that are stellar, and then there's others that are not quite there. 
So um, grief and trauma, please pay attention to that. Be mindful. Um, And the the short version of helping someone with grief and trauma is that the brain stores a a catastrophic uh, something that happens in, in a real jumbled way. And if they get a chance to talk, so talk therapy, you know, the old classic talk therapy, if you can help someone be mindful and talk about it, then their brain is going to then refile that in a much more organized, less boogie, 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 scary uh, uh, um, formation. So let them talk, let them be heard, let them be acknowledged. Don't tell them what to do. Don't make them feel bad about anything. But a good ear will will at least get you to first base, maybe second base, um, even if you're not a professional provider. They also say that if a, if someone is dealing with issues of grief and trauma and they need law, if, if it goes past two months, maybe it's, it, it is time for a professional help. Um, so give them two months of your best shot, see if you can get them to first base, second base, and then if they need someone that's a professionally trained provider, then get on it. All right, don't, don't delay because it's stored in the body. You don't need it to get ever more deeper stored in the body. You want to get that out in the open, all right? They don't want to hide it. They don't want to feel like, oh, gee, if I cry, I'm not manly. No way. Get that out into the open. Don't let it get stored deeper and deeper in the cellular uh, tissue. No way. Okay, moving on. Diet, immune system, behavior, sleep patterns, whether you have respite, whether you're burnout, isolation. These I'm thinking in that case of, of families who are trying to serve their kids or themselves. And so with COVID-19, right, we're all just until we have natural immunity to this thing, then it's that's almost person by person. Do you have the antibodies? So these are things to to be aware of, not to be judgmental, to be a good listener, right? If you've got a friend who's going through um, a burnout or feels so broken or isn't sleeping, tell them to get the blue light out of their bedroom. But other than that, they might just need to talk. Maybe they're not getting appropriate sleep. And if they don't get enough sleep at the REM sleep, then the body's immune system can't do its detoxing. There's also uh, nutrition, methylation, uh, diet, autophagy. Uh, So fasting, right? Um, To help the body be a better machine. And another word to think about is biomedical. So um, we've had two biomedical docs in our life and we still pay full attention to both of them to help all of those things that we just talked about. The body's methylation, the body's detoxing to help uh, both of my kids and me um, recover as uh, to be as healthy of, of a learning machine, a moving machine, body, mind, soul as possible. All right, then some parents, this whole empty nest, oh my gosh, I miss my kids. You know, they say there's two kinds of parents. The ones that can't wait for you to get gone and the ones that uh, never want you to leave. And then the other piece to that is the maybe never empty nest. And that's a different form of grieving. So there can be some parents that are brokenhearted because you're not there anymore. And you might be the kid that's gone that needs to maybe reach out to your parents more frequently. I did not miss my, I did not appreciate my parents until I was gone. And then I was so homesick. And I do, I, I tried to reach back, but it's never quite the same. So don't be a, don't be a butthead and not appreciate your family. Or if you do finally realize that you've been a, a shithead, then reach out and say, gosh, mom, dad, I'm, I, I'm sorry I did a lot of dumb things when I was at home and a teenager. I just was stupid. And I didn't realize it. And you're the greatest. And I love you. And I miss you. And let me go out to lunch with you. So do that. Okay, please. 
Then the, the contra to that is that what if some families never get children to launch independently? And that's what I mean by the maybe never empty nest. And that is another whole side of grief and trauma. Um, if they're 24-7 caretakers and they are desperate for respite and totally burn out and feel so isolated. And, that's, and they need to be listened to. Or maybe you take, maybe you're vigilant for a while and you say, hey, go down there and get a, go get a coffee or go take a hike or just go do something. Don't, don't say empty words. Say, get, go. I'm going to be here for a while. We're going to be okay. Do, don't, don't talk. Do something to help them to have not that isolation and that grief that, my, that their kid will never have prom and never have grandkids, and never have kids, never have a relationship, never have a home, never have a job. So do something. Let Use your best empathy with those friends, okay? All right, so then I say ARDS. Um, so that's if you're negotiating with the school. And so when you're doing evaluations or if there's clinical therapies, uh, and maybe non-clinical therapies, like if you get a chance to do them in a net, natural nature kind of background, you know. It, another example would be if your classrooms for like school, you're always in the classroom compared to you take the kids outside and you have an out of classroom uh, education process. So that's clinical and non-clinical therapies, be it speech, be it OT. So speech is going to be working with the uh, the oral motor, right? And yes, some of the trigeminal nerve system. OT is going to be more the uh, the, the fingers, uh, maybe, maybe the arms, but for sure the fingers, all the things that midline crossover. And we talked about that before. So you've got the, the, uh, the north-south half, you've got the east-west half, and you've got the front-back half, right? crossing those midlines. So PT, physical therapy, is usually the legs, if we're going to overgeneralize. And vision therapy then also fits into kind of like speech, but it's it's slightly different. Um, John's had both. Vision therapy kind of gets into um, building neural pathways, uh, auditory processing, um, uh, the um, uh, executive functioning too. Uh, a very specific, very useful, very needed, um, and we've had them all. Okay. And then there's some the uh, financial pieces down there. So trusts. If if you're working with with families and they need to set up, have you done a will, right? Or they need to set up a guardianship. That's a that's a horrible situation. Do you know what guardianships are? That's when you think that your kid's never going to be able to be okay and be their own wise counsel or ever have someone to protect him. So you're going to take away your kid's adultness and it's going to cost you at least 3000 and you're going to have to do a bunch of legal work and take that kid into the courtroom and you're going to have to say, judge, my kid's never going to be able to make any decision. He's never going to be able, he, she, never going to be able to vote, never going to be able to have a relationship. They're just, uh, they've got no future. So take all that away. <laughs> That's what guardianship is. And once it's gone, you can't give it back. And it's, as again, it's like at least $3,000. And it's so much heartache. Oh, so much heartache. Um, so, and then if you have families that are wrestling with the HHSC, so each state has their own um, health and human services, uh, social security rules, SSI, SSDI, you can only make so much money, ABLE accounts, special needs trusts, um, clawback, um, 
if they don't use it all up, it's going to go back to Medicaid repayment. Um, it's a mess. I tell you what, that's going to make you feel vulnerable and burn out and nervous. And um, it's a money thing. It's a numbers thing. And some families have to, especially if they require 24 nursing or they've got um, some uh, physical disabilities or some medical disabilities. If you have friends that are in that situation, then again, reach out and see what you can do to help or listen. Just listen. Keep your mouth shut. Don't try to give advice. Just let them get it out on the table, right? Because they, they love that person so very much and they're experts. They just sometimes need to vent. And you know, when someone needs to vent, you need to let them just talk because you can't rush to the conclusion, right? Have you ever been in customer service training, sales training? They taught us that years ago when I did that type of work. And, you know, customers venting and we so quickly try to rush to the solution, but they're still pissed off and they just want to tell you how mad they are. So just tuck it, tuck your tail in your legs and let them get it out. And then you can know what all of the objections are and then you can start to work through it. But if they're still going a mile a minute in their conversation, then they are still in the venting process. It's too soon to close the deal. <laughs> You're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Okay, insurance. Lots of different kinds of insurance. And that word there, transition, um, that means that uh, if, if a family's got to start worrying about transition, that means when their kid is 14, their, their dreams and hopes could easily start to be shattered. Because we always hope our kids are going to go to college. We always hope our kids are going to get a job, be fully employed, live independently, have a family, bring us grandkids, be happy in their own skin, live with and, and, and collaborate and, and live a long, full, healthy life. Well, transition means that maybe that family is going to have to settle for something less. We hope not. And I say, please don't ever just assume that your kid's only going to bag groceries or only going to be able to do some nominal uh, crappy job. Have great hope. Give them a lot of rope. Rising tide lifts all boats. Give them hope and chance and neural pathways. And I mean, it's, it's, if you pay any attention to all the things that I do for John, with John, to John, and try to share with y'all, then it's, it's fighting the... The, the standard operating procedure, fighting the conventional expectations, busting out of that stuff and find out what your kid loves, what they're highly motivated by, what they're willing to do and build the neural pathways and what they wish for and what they're willing to take responsibility for and how they're motivated, how they can become resilient. Don't stick with old thoughts, guys. Anyway, that's, that's a lot. I know I've kind of gone long here tonight. My apology for that. Um, kind of. <laughs> These are great things, no matter if you're dealing with a kid or yourself or your parents or a, uh, the world's worst boss or the world's worst job or COVID-19 and you wish you had the world's worst boss and the world's worst job because other than that, you don't have any food on the shelf and you're so fearful. So anyway, um, Peace be with you. I hope that whatever your life situations are, that you have the fewest number of these things happening to you. There's lots of other bad things, right? We did not even talk about medical vulnerability. That's a real thing, too. Um, but uh, we'll, get, we'll cover those in the future. Thank you for your time. Um, may you have great empathy. May you feel authentic in whatever you, the challenges you have in life. They will be, once you learn how to make them a gift, you'll, you'll be able to help others. And that's why you have bled, is so that 
you can heal that up and share. And maybe you're not perfect when you share, but someone else will realize that, oh, they're not bleeding all by themselves. And that someone else has walked that and they are not alone because isolation, thinking you're all by yourself, thinking nobody else cares or knows this kind of trouble is the worst feeling. So share, reach out, be vulnerable. If, if, if you see, if you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say, but let me do something to help. In the old days, I would have said, let me give you a hug, which right now we can't with COVID, which was a total bummer. But um, even if you don't know what to say, let them know that you care and smile at people, say hi, don't, don't hide, okay? Don't hide. All right. May you have great peace. Thank you for your time. I look forward to the next one. Okay. Cheers.